So basically, I've been following the OpenAI thing because it's just, it's of interest to me that like a schism is developing in the major, in the religion of the people trying to build God. Basically. Oh yeah, well you said to me yeah. this uh, this afternoon that you thought this was like the most impactful piece of tech news this year uh, yeah. to date, and I'm like, oh man, I hate when this tech news. Haven't, Someone's on a tech Haven't podcast. they reinstated Sam Altman? Yeah. He's, he's like Lula, they threw him in jail for a while, but now he's back. Yeah, it's, they're, 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 putting, um, they're putting Ilya in the alt lag. Whatever that means. Uh, no. <laughs> that was just noises. Yeah. No, so basically what happened was, um, the, the, the big breakthrough that they, that they uncovered, uh, was this project called QSTAR. Um, okay. And it was basically just something where the... Um, what if AI could Q? <laughs> yeah, well, finally. <laughs> they uncovered this, this secret project, codenamed Qbert. <laughs> it's an AI that can play Qbert. <laughs> <laughs> isn't isn't Qbert a character was... from Dilbert? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Do, doing like war games, but mm. instead of noughts and crosses, it's Qbert. So basically, the, the claim that they are making and this is, this is going to sound quite small fry, but it's considerable, okay. is that the, it, the algorithm is able to understand math concepts as opposed to the language used to describe math concepts. Mm. D does that distinction okay. mean? Yeah, because ChatGPT can't do maths, famously. You give it a maths no, question, well, it just spits out some random shit. Well, if you give it, if you give it a maths question, it will, uh, it will know what words to reply to your words with, but it won't be able to reason mathematically. Yeah. Basically, they're like, oh, okay, okay, we've done one that can reason mathematically. Like, ah, it's God! Yeah. They, they, they taught a computer how to count. <laughs> yeah. Now, mm -hmm. the company that was sort of like mostly cult mm -hmm. is, is like yeah. sort of fractured. Yeah. Well, what, it's, what's it's, really funny yeah. about this is that computers have been able to do maths for like since the 19th century. Like, the first computer they ever built could do maths. That's why they built it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this, that this one can decide what maths to do. Someone would say all computers do is maths, and anything computers do that isn't maths is just maths in disguise. Yeah. <laughs> That's why computer science is basically maths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whenever we talk about, about AI, I try to be clear on what is hype and what is not, what yep. is something and what isn't. This is probably something. And the, th the thing that's more significant, is, I think, is that like the, um, in the debate between should we invest huge amounts of money into it, push it forward as far as possible or mm -hmm. not, is this whole bickering in the board, uh, the go forward as fast as you possibly can, commercialize it as much as possible, invest and, and update its capabilities as far and fast as possible, has won handily. Of course it always yeah. was going to, because the fact that the non-profit thing was always just a total smokescreen, and like Satya Nadella was just like, it basically has strapped a brick to the gas pedal at this point to try Sorry, to like... I, 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 I heard the word strapped and brick and I, I got so distracted that I couldn't podcast for a second. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, this is, this is cool. Um, the, the fact that sort of the guy who co-founded Twitch played the Game of Thrones and lost. And now uh, the sort of like counter coup has led... With Larry Summers! <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Larry Summers is back, right? Yeah. Like, if you if you were craving a director of OpenAI or a board member of OpenAI who had been like allegedly a guest at Jeffrey Epstein's island, mm. you know, you can you can sort of like mm. rest rest assured, you know, it's it's in safe hands. Now. Yeah, well, he went in um, the off season. There was a six month period where no one on the board of OpenAI ever went to allegedly to Jeffrey Epstein's island, and that worries me. <laughs> and what yeah, that time months. has now closed. Yeah. You yeah. know, the adults are back in the room. Don't ask what that room is. The adults are back in the sort of like weird island mosque. Yeah, thing. the children are back in the room. Anyway, yeah. So it's like this is like again, if it is with 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 AI, I always say if it is what it says it is, which I think is probably still mm -hmm. unlikely. Then once again, the like the uh, the Larry Summers is back at the head. And the funny thing is, he he replaced another Harvard person, Helen Toner, who left. Helen Toner, the inventor of printer yeah. ink. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> the only thing I want to say about this more is uh, this is from um, Wired. So that was really interesting. Okay. Altman's strategy of raising billions of dollars and partnering with a tech giant to pursue ever more advanced AI while also admitting he didn't fully understand it was hard to align with his professed fears of extinction level events. 
Yeah, it's almost like this guy is some kind of like opportunist charlatan. You know? I mean, the, the only innovation really there is admitting that he didn't understand it. Because most tech bros don't really understand what they're doing. But he's he's the first <laughs> one to be like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, he's the first, isn't that cool? He's the first one who's like, "Look, I nor nobody understands this. You need to invest billions of dollars in my quote-unquote nonprofit so we can build the machine that replaces the teacher with an iPad." If- it's, it's closer to being a medium mm. than anything mm. else. Yeah. You know, he's just a conduit for the spirit. Yeah, it's like they've, they've hooked up a fucking Ouija board to their computer, and they're all sat there like, "Ooh, they've this got is candles why, lit in the this office." This is why I think that ultimately what we saw was a kind of like Council of Nicaea, but really dumb and stupid and fast. Mm. Uh, where yeah, it's more like the general synod. We, we ended up with a kind of we, we ended up with a schism. General synod is fast. You know? yeah. yeah, we did. Yeah. We did because like OpenAI was gonna split and like and like all of the stuff, the real like Heaven's Gate away team of uh, of like AI. We're gonna go to Microsoft and now the counter coup has succeeded. They're gonna stay where they are, working on the computer that knows what maths to do. Hmm. Um and the future's gonna be great or terrible. I don't yeah. know. But you know who does? Patriots in control, specifically Larry Summers. <laughs> it would be really funny if it went down like the middle path, like if they managed to build a sentient computer, but they couldn't get it past the intelligence of like a nine-year-old child. What if you build just a really annoying computer that was like, That's "Can we Larry play Summers frisbee?" I want to play Minecraft. <laughs> Larry Summers is at the head of an organization that has a sort of like nine-year-old intelligence in the basement. Oh, the last thing you want is Larry Summers involved in charge of a nine-year-old child computer. Um, anyway, but that is, but that is sort of like what we're talking. It's like it has a child's understanding of maths, but has what they claim to be an understanding. The, these things again, like they can't understand, but it's working with the concepts. Anyway, mm. enough about all that. That's not fun. We've built a nephew. You know, I want to talk about. <laughs> well, yeah, talk about some British stuff. Yeah. Like you know, w- what news in this sphere-tering state? Sphere, 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 sphere. There's sphere news. We're gonna get spherical. I love. Okay, I love the sphere. Yeah. Mm. Oh, oh, I love shapes. I hope you don't love the sphere too much because it's bad news for people who love the sphere. Bad news for sphere lovers. More at eleven. Um. Right. Uh, the Sadiq Khan, uh, <laughs> Feckless Sadiq, the the Sadiq yeah. Khan, Feckless yeah. Sadiq Khan, uh, yeah. has decided that he doesn't want to be a part of the future. Uh, that he Damn. doesn't think that he says, "I don't want London to have a sphere. I don't want it to have a sweet concert venue where we can see Bono." Because uh, of perform in hologram. Because of woke, he doesn't mm. want to build the giant orb yeah. well, that would have blinded everyone in Stratford. Well, because they're concerned about what if what if a kind of you know like a '90s action movie scenario were to happen and some terrorists were to remove the chocks from the bottom of the sphere and it were to roll away, crushing all of London in its path. You know, that's a serious concern that I have about the sphere. So basically, basically, right as. Uh, Corrupt failing Sadiq Khan has said there should be no. <laughs> very sad. Very a very sad man has very said sad no sphere. Mayor of London, low traffic neighborhoods. Okay, your neighborhood's already pretty low traffic. No one wants to go there. <laughs> In a dramatic, this is uh, Sphere Entertainment Company uh, and uh, MSG Executive Chairman James Dolan, who we've talked about recently. Mm. Yeah, normal guy. Said yeah. He, basically, he said, "I'm not even going to bother appealing to the government to reverse Sadiq's decision." Then saying, I'm not even going to bother with bribing people. It said, then said, <laughs> it really is the end of the line for London. Why doesn't London want the best show on earth? That's it. See, this is the thing, right? They, they, they did this and they put out a slightly longer, equally shitty statement that's like, well, I guess you don't want to be on board with the future. And the thing is, right, the sphere is a gimmick. It's something mm. that you can get a kind of like Wait, what? moribund... <laughs> moribund tourist destination like Las Vegas to sign on to. Mm. And you can do the kind of thing of like, listen, if you don't like it, I guess we'll like pack it up and we'll take the sphere to Reno and that will terrify a, like a Las Vegas politician. London, like you can say a lot of bad shit about it, but it's it's got like mm. eight million people and like a significant amount of the stuff. It has a water table that's still here, unlike Las Vegas. Yeah, Yeah, it it has a sort of like a significant proportion of the global economy, Mm. even if it is mostly through like horse trading and scams. Las Vegas, I think, is one of the worst places on earth I've ever been. And I've been to central Russia. I've also been there. And it's it's very, very weird. But yeah, no, you can't can't pull this shit on a place that's an actual city because you can't, especially like a city City like London that is going yeah. to be fine. You're basically in South End on Sea on anabolic steroids, but like uh, every main course at a restaurant costs forty dollars. Mm. Well, 
We're going to have to... Do you want to know what the best show on Earth was going to be, by the way? Um, oh, uh, another Lion King production. Uh, I don't it was going to be the guys riding motorbikes up the inside of the sphere. That right? would have been actually been... Mm, we've missed that. No. Sick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dolan said that Ed Sheeran wanted to perform at the opening show of the London <laughs> Sphere. <laughs> oh, we fucked it, lads. <laughs> Ed Sheeran will never How perform in London again. <laughs> no. no. We'll no. never hear the strains of a Small Bump or Shape of You. Uh, yeah. Does he really have a song called Small Bump? Oh, he fucking does. I think it's about... <laughs> yeah, I bet uh, it's, it's a really old Sheeran track. Do you remember, Alice, I think, I'm turning to your British Yana knowledge here. Do you remember uh-huh. in, like, 2010 or so, Ed Sheeran was, like, mm. friends with all of the, like, white grime rappers? Oh, God, I And he do. put out a collab album with, like, Devlin and some other, like, what, like <sighs> grime guys. Um... <laughs> And uh, it was crazy. It was real it was, crazy. It, was really, it involved Ed Sheeran it, rapping. Sort of, sort of the Linkin Park Jay Z yeah. crossover album of, of of our shitty country. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I know, if if that's our version of the Linkin Park Jay Z crossover album, maybe we do need a sphere. And that was that was Small Bump era. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, a statement from Sphere Entertainment said. While we are disappointed in London's decision, there are many other forward-thinking cities that are e- eager to bring this technology to their communities, and we'll concentrate yeah, on those. So you, 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 can't, you can't do that kind of like, oh, I guess we'll just take it to Frankfurt. Yes, we'll just take or, it. Or Dublin. Yes, we'll just take it to Neom. Yeah, the Frankfurt sphere. It's going to be the new stock exchange. It's going to display all the all the German company stock prices on the outside of the sphere. It's very practical. Don't look at the prices. Yeah, don't look at them. <laughs> don't look at them this year. They burn your eyes. <laughs> They're very low. The red will burn your eyes. They're we very accidentally low. made it out of the lights from the fucking ape meetup. Uh, the the company also said that they'd promised to provide blackout blinds to all homes within 150 meters of the sphere. This is so what? fucking stupid. Like, we're building a fucking bomb testing site next to your house. Here are some free earplugs. Like, what? <laughs> like, no. Also, Maybe I want to be able to look out of my window and not look at the fucking eye of Sauron, cunt. <laughs> like, maybe the solution also- isn't bricking up every window in my house. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, houses within 150 meters, 150 meters is quite close. Like, I'll say this for the, the Vegas sphere, mm. I don't think 150 meters covers, like, half of the car park. <laughs> yeah. But, it, you know, because it's London, you're just, everything's built on top of each other, mm. so you have your studio flat for which you pay, like, £15,000 a second, mm. going up even more, uh, just yeah. sort of like with a big emoji, like beaming uh, light into your window. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, imagine just like having a wank in your room and just looking out the window and the sphere is winking at you. <laughs> mm. Big, big spherical Ed Sheeran head. <laughs> Ed Sheeran's head actually is very spherical. That could work. I think we should build the Ed Sphere. The funny thing is, he's like looking, looking up from the ground, like Evan Jelly. Yeah, Ed Sheeran will never perform. The, the sphere isn't hollow. It's just a solid Ed Sheeran head <laughs> that is singing "Small Bump" twenty four hours a day. You're, you're it's, it's not like reconfigurable in any way. Yeah, the, the dead sphere. Yeah, there we go. One of the funnier things as well is that Michael Gove was so keen on the sphere that he's trying to intervene to keep getting it built, but the but Dolan's like, no, fuck you. Wait, divorced weirdo <laughs> Michael Gove is on board? Fuck, we should have built this thing. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, w- what about his TikTok daughter? What does she think about it? Uh, I you have to check TikTok. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more. We're still staying in the UK. Okay. But they decided what they're doing with the money. Oh, the sphere money. Uh, no, no, no. This is not. It was previously sphere marked for a special project. <laughs> Anyone wanting to be the uh, new mic on TF can uh, write look in. Of, look of genuine hatred. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna put a big Michael Gove head, like glowing at night in strap. Yeah. Oh my. Oh yeah. Just just with his chipmunk cheeks and and, and gigantic eyes. Yeah, Perfect. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. That's I'd love awesome. to see that while I'm the trying Gove to go sphere. about my day. Uh, no, uh, we are talking, of course, about. Jeremy Hunt. Uh, <laughs> Don't say that in a hurry. Uh, Jeremy Hunt uh, gave the autumn, autumn budget, promising finally I was to... I to say the Ottoman Empire for a second. <laughs> Jeremy Hunt finally <laughs> has, re- has recreated the Ottoman Empire with a capital in London. <laughs> he's, he's appeared with, with a huge with turban. Yeah. It's like shoulder width. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Everyone's getting into Turkey now. Uh, mm. Jeremy Hunt has given the autumn statement about what the budget is going to be for next year. And finally, finally... A conservative government is going to reduce borrowing, make work pay, cut taxes, reduce waste in public spending, and then get people on benefits into work with uh, f- 
sanctions and incentives. It's always for it's, it's now when they say make work pay. Are, now I I presume they can't possibly mean by that uh, making it impossible to live on benefits because they've tried that before. So they must presumably mean raising the laughably low average wages of every job in the UK. I, I can only imagine that's what they mean because that would be a good. So policy. yes, the minimum wage has been raised. Uh, okay. It's been raised by uh, just over a pound an hour. Okay, well, because it was was pretty high before, so... Uh, Yeah, it was very high. And it's also been raised uh, by more than inflation as well, which is great. That's, of course, not true. That has not happened. Uh, It is raised by less than inflation. (laughs) Yeah, but... So it's a a real-terms cut. Yes, it is a real-terms pay cut. Amazing. Well, I I mean, to be fair, look, it was very easy to live on the minimum wage before, Mm -hmm. so I'm sure a a real-terms cut won't really affect it. Benefits have also been increased by 6%. Again, less than inflation. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, in exchange for that real-terms pay cut, uh, there are tougher requirements for those who claim them. <laughs> you, you you can't just like have a pay cut. You have to give something up to earn that pay yeah. cut. You know. Well, um, so we don't know exactly what the reforms are going to be yet. But one of the highlights is uh, people claiming benefits will face, and these are three terrifying words to hear from mm-hmm. Jeremy Hunt: mandatory work experience if they do not find a job within eighteen months. Oh fuck! You, you just do a sort of like work corvée. I mean, mm. they tried this before. They're gonna make them like um, go to work with their uncle at the like at the at the you know uh, photocopier company hmm. for like a week. Yeah, make the tea. To, we'll just like push someone who can't work into somewhere that has work that needs doing, mm. uh, and just kind of like hope for the best. Yeah. I yeah. guess. No, I think they should send people benefits on year ten work experience specifically. <laughs> You should have to go and do an insane thing that you will obviously never do as a job. Like just because it's the it, you know you you started organising it at the last minute. Uh, you know you've got to you got to go and uh, you know you got to find an uncle and you just got to go do whatever they do for the day. Yeah, you got to go shadow your uncle. We've got, the nation's yeah. uncles will be scrambled. That's right. Uh-huh. No, no. So what uh, essentially what the the claim here is that these biggest set of welfare reforms in a decade will get a further two hundred thousand people into work mm. into a job which will likely pay. Which will be a pay cut. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's sort of like stick, which is you know you have to do the mandatory year ten work experience, yeah. and then there's carrot, which is you get paid less to do it when you do get a job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the um, uh, <laughs> there's there's this big stick which is made out of carrot. It's a very <laughs> unnutritious carrot. Yeah. So so J- Jeremy Hunt just bludgeoning the the British taxpayer with a sort of like big root vegetable. <laughs> so uh, the but aside from the, we'll go as more details are released on sort of exactly how that is to be uh, executed. We'll of course talk about it. The other two highlights, of course, are um, that finally uh, the Conservative government is going to crack down on public spending services with a responsible approach to tackling waste. Oh, austerity is back. Mm. Well, specifically, did it ever really go away? This is going to account <laughs> for a 19 billion pound reduction in spending on public services. Um, that will oh, we won't miss that. Oh, of course. I mean, the, uh, you could have cut some stuff. <laughs> Wait, hang on. We're still spending 19 billion pounds on public services. <laughs> it's fucking news <laughs> to me, cunt. <laughs> um, and that, of course, in that, in that, in that time. Uh, we will be growing the economy by 0.6% this year and 0.7% next. But wow. uh, basically a year of more, a decade of more or less flat growth. Two do decades. You, do you reckon the Tories will eventually like, administer themselves out of a job? Like they'll get to a point where you know, they've cut so many things that it's sort of like, you know, the Jenga, the Jenga tower is teetering and they're like, well, the only thing left to cut is the prime minister and the cabinet. <laughs> We've got rid of everything else. <laughs> yeah, we're drowning the government. Jacob Rees-Mogg living in a, like a fridge box under a bridge. Yeah, and then you know? you're back with the one man who runs Britain. Yeah, well, we just that these are the skeleton crew of one guy. Yeah, so this is the, all of that, though. Of course, is is to going around the idea, right? Which is that Jeremy Hunt said also. Whereas this Jeremy is growing the economy, his meaning Keir Starmer's Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn mm-hmm. would have crashed it. To which yeah. I, a dark Jeremy, yeah. the sort of Jeremy warrior, yeah, a tale of two Jeremys. I, I would. To which I say, <laughs> oh my God, I'm so glad that no one crashed the economy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a good job that uh, didn't I'm happen. Just, 
I'm just trying to figure out a fourth Jeremy because I think you could plausibly do a political compass of Jeremys in the UK uh, with okay. Hunt, Corbyn, Clarkson, yeah, Clarkson, and then you would you would need uh, a, fine. Like a, ah, yeah, perfect, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but right, we've solved politics. Yeah, okay. I will, you know, Milo and I will take our honorary doctorates in in yeah. poli science. Perfect. Yeah, All right. Well, perfect. we've we've solved the politics. Well, there you go. If you'd like to, if you would like to be uh, sent a printout of your official <laughs> trash future for Jeremy's <laughs> political for Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy, that's insane. A Matrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but again, you know, this Jeremy is growing the economy. His one would have crashed it. Yeah. But the to look the at the economy is going so fucking well, isn't it? It's great. Every everything's fine. It's all. There's no problems. Why worry? Yeah, the the, th- the thing that strikes me about this, though, right, is that as as you sort of alluded to earlier, this is it's just like a conservative budget dot text. Yeah, like, yeah, it's kind of they've they've run out of shit to do. They tried the Liz Trust thing, and that like it nearly incinerated the entire economy. Mm. Um, they know they're going to be out at the next election, and so this it like yeah, it leaves a bunch of time bombs for Labour with all of those cuts that Starmer is never ever going to reverse, but. Mm. In general, it's just like it would be irresponsible doing the expected thing. It's like you you run out of mana to like cast a really devastating budget, and you just have this one. Yeah, you know, they've, they're they've out of, they're out of spell slots, and they're casting a budget cantrip. It's it's so funny. We're, we're sort of in the situation of like the reverse for Yorkshireman sketch, where like the conservatives are just like no matter how shit it gets in Britain, like they're actually like they're living in the shoebox, like they're living in the hole in the road, but they're going, this is nothing. If Jeremy Corbyn were in charge, we'd be we'd be living in jar of piss. And then you're like, and then a month later, you're all living in a jar of piss, and they're like, "You haven't seen anything." I tell you what, if Jeremy Corbyn had won, we'd be we'd be living in a sort of a puddle of diarrhea. And then a month later, you're in the puddle of diarrhea, and they're like, "Honestly, right? If Jeremy Corbyn were in charge of UK, right, we'd we'd be living just just in our soul." Not even a particular animal, just an arsehole, you know, just a disembodied anus. And then you're in the disembodied anus, right? If Jeremy Corbyn were in charge, and then just like a single gunshot rings out, and it's like, yeah, the entire country has been sold to Serco, and we're like euthanizing you like lame racehorses. <laughs> anyway, so it's, it's, it is true, though, that this is, having done that, right, having actually tried the thing that conservatism is supposed to always be working to, yeah. But never supposed to do, and then doing it, right? Having done that, blown everything up. There is very little. There's very little appetite, but it does. It seems to not matter because yeah. the way to understand, and I think this goes back to even what we talked about about elite recycling and how Britain just doesn't cycle its elites. It the fact that this is wildly out of touch with what even business wants is just a feature of our completely delusionally cosseted political system. That it well, Cameron's back, yeah. and so are the budgets. Yeah. You know, th- this is a, like a vintage Cameron era, like Osborne yeah. budget. We are finally going to hug that hoodie. Finally, mm. we're gonna. Well, we're gonna we're gonna do it in the sphere. Look, here's the thing. Here's another thing I want to talk about. We all know that beliefs drive behavior, right? Uh, yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, we know beliefs drive behavior. Now, culture pulse. Culture pulse. Culture pulse. Is this culture a startup? Pulse. Oh yeah. What do you think of that segue? I loved it. Beautiful. It was great. Smooth. Bussery smooth. Mm. Mm. Okay. Culture. Culture pulse. Um, is this is this a new way that you can get like uh, a selection of um, TV shows injected directly into your bloodstream? No, I don't know how that would work. Uh, is it? It, it sounds sort of analytical. It's going to do it something is. like Spotify, where it sort of like takes all of your media consumption, mm. right? And it, it does something. Like an everything wrapped. Mm. Here's all the shit you consumed this yeah. year. It sounds like a blog from like 2010, like yeah. a, like a Perez Hilton type thing. Uh, Is that okay. what we're bringing back? Blogs from <laughs> we have, the we early have David 2010s? Cameron back. We have 2010 style budgets back. Yeah, <laughs> we have we have we have small bump <laughs> yeah. era. Ed it's Sheeran Nick Clegg's new website. Um, so unlock new levels of audience insight. Now, here's the thing: you're gonna probably like we're gonna work. It's a you're going to probably guess what it is, and you're going to be like, wait, why are you talking about that? I've told Alice already, not what it does, but that some of what it's being used for is so awful that it will make you want to turn off the recording if you are listening yes. to it. Yes. 
Yeah, I yeah. I, I asked. I asked what the vibe was, and you said it would be specifically so aggravating that you asked me not to hang up on you. Is it, is it being um, used to promote Mrs. Brown's voice? Because that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. So, unlock new levels of audience insight. No single attribute dr- drives decisions. It's the interplay of dozens of dimensions that creates action. Culture Pulse's mm-hmm. AI predicts behavior by modeling the entire belief system that motivates people to act. Think of it as behavior prediction as a service. Oh, okay. So it is a, um, essentially like it was a social media marketing firm that has now decided and modeled the sort of um, 83 points of behavior so that you can... Oh, is that all of yes, them? Yes, the 83 yeah. points that, of belief. That I have. Yes, you, you have 83 okay. beliefs. I don't know if you know that. Okay. Um, sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure I couldn't list all of them right now. Got a sounds horny, right. uh, depressed horny. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the five pillars of Islam, yeah. the the nine delights. Yeah, uh, that already takes us up to fourteen. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> Alice has found a secret tenth delight and broken the system. <laughs> be, be, beer is the drink of summer. That's fifteen. Yeah. Uh, I'll keep sprinkling these yeah. through as I go. Oh, this TK um, Max costs less. That's sixteen. Beer, beer is for strength. Mm-hmm. Wine is for wisdom, and spirits are for courage. How about that one? That's three beliefs right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Dutch courage. We're just racking up these beliefs. The courage that it takes yeah. to put on blackface. Uh, <laughs> what is what is it going to do All right, so, with these beliefs? So the ma- the company was built as basically a kind of social media marketing firm that had an AI element. They say, yeah. know what drives your audience. Culture Pulse models the belief systems that drive audience action so you can predict behavior more accurately with less data and in less time. Uh, and you can optimize your ads in minutes rather than weeks to ensure your message connects. Precisely predict what resonates with your audience using AI-powered A/B testing but and taste if, the get work. What if yes. what if what resonates with your audience isn't something that you are able to do in a way that is like commensurate to advertising with them because of you know the invisible structure of capitalism oh. that constrains us? Like Nike isn't going to do an ad that says "Free Palestine," right? What? Well, hold that in your mind. Uh, but that's what well, that's another one right there. We're up to like sixteen "Free Palestine." <laughs> so they they have this thing called resonance. Uh, that they say their company can help you maximize. Resonance happens when an amplified information's frequency matches another natural frequency of vibration. Because of matched vibration, resonance is frequently associated with music. Um, and so they, they say from a marketing perspective regarding resonance, consider those two notes that sound together and your messaging. First, marketers must pay close attention to the note that their market plays and hear it clearly. And next, the marketer or advertiser must play a note that resonates with their target audience. You can find that note by testing your messaging on a Culture Pulse digital audience twin. This is like something fucking no. Johnson would say on Peep Show. Like, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. This is the fucking basement under the theater and the prestige. Tell me about my cultural influence twin. So they can they can model you, right? Or that's what they say, right? Is uh-huh. they can yeah. they can make using these uh, eighty three characteristics uh, mm-hmm. AI agents, and those AI agents can react to things that you put in front of them very quickly. They project you onto the big sphere. Yeah, that's right. And then they show you stuff like beer. I, like, would you drink this? What in if summer? I'm what if I'm uncomfortable with having them make an AI chatbot double of me that looks at like a photo of you know a beer ad or whatever and says beer is the drink of summer? Yeah. Well, don't worry. Classic about Alice it. lines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, is what I would say. <laughs> you, you just okay. you just say. Um, <laughs> A strapped up brick and the computer just explodes. <laughs> Damn. I just, I really, if you were the kind of person who is like all in, if you were an open AI person, mm-hmm. if you're on the Heaven's Gate Away team, mm-hmm. if you're like, we're about to build God mm-hmm. here, we're, yeah. we're about to build the thinking machine, mm. right? What this is saying is, it's real like, you know, Omela stuff, is that in order to market product more convincingly, what we are going to do is we are going to build, confine, and torture in a kind of adbusters sense a god of yeah. you. But with the intelligence of a nine-year-old. So, wow, I guess... It is the ones who walk away from Omelas. <laughs> yeah. It fully is. Everyone yeah. really wants action, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, it's um, you create this psychologically accurate digital twin of your audience, Right, so you say, okay, well, my here, my audience, let's say, of a hundred thousand people, it's going to have their eighty-three personality sliders are all going to be on average like this. You create all those people within that range, and then they react to it for you. The platform hmm. be- belief models belief systems that drive human behavior and quantifies anger, anxiety, personality, morality, family, friends, finances, yeah, inclusivity, personality from one to ten. <laughs> 
Inclusivity. Yeah, pl- placement on the Jeremy matrix. Yeah, 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 uh, that's right. Your percentage of like relative languidness, looseness. Some kind of economy. insane like Myers-Briggs test where it's like, would you say that you're more Jeremy Corbyn, Hunt, Clarkson, well, or Vine? It models racism, hate speech, and plenty of other cultural categories. Okay, so Clarkson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Basically, um, there's one of their reviews. So they're just yeah. like torturing a bunch of racist AI chatbots <laughs> with endless adverts until they determine the precise composition of racism yep. that will most effect- effectively sell shoes so, or whatever. This is David David yeah. Lezhniks, a Reddit marketing specialist. Buy our beep loafers. <laughs> It says, <laughs> pretty certain that all marketing specialists are Reddit, if you ask me. Says, Writing headline text isn't my cup of tea, but using Culture Pulse, I get so much insight that I reached 1.7 thousand upvotes in my community. Wow. So, anyway. Oh, sorry, 82. It's, the, it's 93 social dimensions. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. I, I have way more beliefs than I thought yeah, I Yeah, there's room for the ice-cold, refreshing taste of a Coors Light. So, <laughs> in summer, because beer is the drink is of right. summer. So, basically, mm. think of it this way. You create ads, test them against a digital audience, and then it gives you a resonance score to refine your message and publish it when it's a perfect fit. But how do you know where your audience fits on these 93 personality sliders? That, that seems like the big leap here. Is like, oh, well, all you need to be able to do is closely define exactly who your audience is. Yeah, and then they, this takes the work out of marketing, figuring out how to market to them, basically. But you have to mm. already know that. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, they've well, recently. It seems very hard to know. They've, they've recently. It's sort of like you just just go with mass surveillance. You know, hook it into the um, smart fridges that can determine your sort of like emotional states. Mm. This is from. Um... <laughs> they, they see me smile when I look at a beer. Yeah, they're like, it is summer. <laughs> yeah. uh, so this is. Uh... So we got her. They recently received <laughs> some investment. It says that Slovakian social media analytics startup Culture Pulse helps businesses communicate with potential customers in a tone that's least likely to cause a negative reaction and just received a million dollars from Zero Gravity Capital to move the AI software to a SaaS platform. So, this uh-huh. is the thing. This is where it gets odd. Prior to its commercial launch, Culture Pulse's AI technology was used in research projects such as the Forgiveness Project with the Wolf Institute, where they used highly advanced artificial intelligence to simulate and analyze social conditions in Northern Ireland by distilling over 50 million articles from the largest database of human society, of articles in human society ever created, into their 80 aspects of culture, psychology, and morality underpinning the Northern Ireland conflict. Yeah, they put the, nor- they put the troubles on the Jeremy Matrix. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it weirdly came out heavily as Vine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Northern Irish Union is very, very heavily Vine. The Northern Irish conflict was in a lot of ways like a Jeremy Vine phone-in. <laughs> There was, there was a lot of yelling. There wasn't a lot of understanding. Yeah, so there was a phoned-in yeah. warning. My know? vision, uh, says CEO Justin Lane, was to draw upon the decades of research in psychology and AI to offer the only AI platform in the world that can be used by globally by businesses across every industry, geography, and every channel imaginable. Now, but you, but you trained it on a sort of like borderline civil war. Well, that's the thing, right? He did. He trained it on all of those articles and then tried to use it to figure out the civil war. Now, with that in mind, after doing some marketing, is it? <laughs> I have. I'm about to read the headline now. Brings a whole new meeting, a whole new meaning to guerrilla marketing. Yeah, there you go. I'm about to now read the headline mm-hmm. that de- made me decide to include this company. The UN hired an AI company to untangle the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. Oh boy! Oh, oh boy! Okay, right. Yes, once we figure out which Jeremy Hamas is, mm. we are going to solve this thing in an um, afternoon. Corbin, obviously. <laughs> so, immediate dub for Corbin there. I, yeah, of course. I, I knew that this would be quite the mm-hmm. quite quite the oh, thing. Hezbollah, <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> They're much less reasonable. Yeah. Tell you what, Hamas, Hamas, and Hezbollah do not have a position on whether or not beer is the drink of summer. Yeah. You know, they've abstained. Yeah. It's shameful. Yes, yeah, yeah. Sh- shameful, shameful moral abstention. Yeah. I, who, so have they just decided to do this, or is is someone like act like contracting oh, them to try and do? Sorry, this? you. I think the, the red mist might have descended when I read the headline. Yes. It was the UN. Yes, very the UN. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Well, what I don't okay. understand is, I mean, obviously, like, the, what this company is doing is, is kind of insane anyway, but, like, why did the UN imagine that the solution to the Israel-Palestine conflict will be marketing-based? 
I'm because all NGOs and the UN most of all are these like huge behemoths which like exist to you know get huge amounts of their own staff killed mm. and then go and then then piss a bunch of money up a wall going yeah but what if there was an AI clone of the like Palestinian child under the rubble and we knew how that Palestinian child robot clone felt about Jeremy Kyle <laughs> why don't I read you the article pieces okay. at hand you know we've we've fucking done it. Why don't I read you the article? Please. Training artificial intelligence models does not typically involve coming face to face with an armed soldier, but the system that Justin Lane and F. Laron Schultz, okay, yep, name, uh-huh. uh, uh, co-founders of Culture Pulse, are developing for the UN is not typical. Schultz and Lane, Americans now based in Europe, were on the ground as part of a contract they signed with the UN to develop an AI model that they hope would analyze solutions to the Israel-Palestinian conflict. American is moved to Slovakia is a fuck vibe. Yeah, <laughs> two just, Americans. Mm, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, CIA ringing the big CIA bell. Well, yeah. well, you've got once you've got the like Fed name where it's like first initial, middle name, surname. That's yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like F. Murray Abraham. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, in this case, it's F. Laurent Schultz mm. uh, or F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. Two yeah. two famous Feds. Well, oh, we're we're very nearing another political compass here. Oh yeah, yeah the, the F's, <laughs> yeah. the F compass. Oh, <laughs> uh, so. Schultz and Lane are aware that claiming an AI could solve the crisis between Israelis and Palestinians is likely to result in a lot of eye-rolling, if not outright hostility. Yes, yeah, but you kind of did, though, didn't you? So they're quick to dispel that this is what they were trying to do. Uh-huh. Quite frankly, if I were to phrase it that way, I'd roll my own eyes, too. The key is that the model is not designed to resolve the situation, but to understand, analyze... It's designed to inflame it. Mm. Un- to understand, analyze, and get insights into implementing policies and communication strategies. Very UN. Again, this is yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We're gonna like you know commission a sort of special report into you know strategies that are gonna distribute microloans to small business owners in Gaza, um, and those microloans will help them to sort of like rebuild their bombed mm. businesses. But they have to be doing AI, so we're gonna, we're gonna make it Singapore. Okay. So, so, yeah. So, so, so the conflict this they say is centuries old and deeply complex, and made even more complicated by the current crisis. To which you have to say, no, it is fucking not. It is not <laughs> complex. You do not need well, an AI to tell you why it is happening. It is happening because some people are bombing some other people and won't let them leave the small strip of land. Yeah, but if we knew about what kind of marketing they like, mm. then we might we might gain some insights into yeah. why they want to do I that. I could put this in simple terms to understand. Uh, the, the IDF has, has got the people of Gaza and it keeps saying, why are you hitting yourself? Stop hitting yourself. Why don't you just leave if you want me? To, if you want to stop hitting yourself, you know. And the the I so I just find the the idea that an AI system would be needed to they they, they sear it's a tactical misunderstanding, mm. right? Tactical misunderstanding. A tactical Damn misunderstanding. Uh, that is to say, misunderstanding that you do on purpose mm. so you don't have to confront something. Right, yeah. It's calling so, it a tactical misunderstanding of my own position. It's so egregious to say, "Oh well, we need an AI to figure this one out," as though it's not that one side has F-16s. Yeah, I mean, I I think anyone who like is aware of and God forbid works in this sector will tell you that this is not new. It's probably not the most egregious thing. The fact that there's like some chatbots involved is is I guess the distinction. Well, that, that they've high. I think the, the most insulting is like, "Whoa." We need the social media marketing guys to help us figure out mm. this one. Yeah, we're gonna get in. Yeah, Steven we're gonna Bart. figure out. We're gonna figure out what gets the most Reddit upvotes, uh, and whatever it is, whatever the most like Reddit, the most popular on Reddit uh, solution, that's the one that we're gonna recommend that they oh, do. Yeah. Countless efforts of finding a political solution have failed, and any eventual end to the crisis would need support because, because one side doesn't want it, and the other side is like then forced by that into a position where any ending to it, any solution is impossible for them to take. Oh golly, why are these Palestinians so mad? I'm not going to look into anything that has happened in the last 70 years, I'm just going to assume that it's due to the marketing communications that we're <laughs> producing. We're not talking to them yeah. right. So, Getting a lot of spam phone calls from the IDF saying that they're going to blow up my house. So we know that you can't solve a problem with this complex, the single AI system. That's not ever going to be feasible in my opinion. Oh, we need many of them. Yeah. What's fe- what is feasible is using an intelligent AI system with a digital twin of the conflict to explore potential solutions that are there. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of just like, th- they've invented a, a marketing war game mm. there, mm. where they're like, if we run these ads, the conflict plays out like this. But I would say that 
if you were honest about this, every single one would remain exactly the same. The situation would remain completely unaffected because this is it doesn't matter. It's like a kind of it's a jobs creation program and like funding siphon off of the yeah. UN. It just seems to be just like openly like de- well, like you say, deliberately misunderstanding the situation. It's so it almost feels as though they're presupposing a system where like uh Palestinians and Israelis live in like a single state with equal rights, but they just don't get on. Rather than a situation mm. where there's kind of Palestine has a separate but entirely subordinate state where the IDF is now telling them your options are either die or leave. Like I don't really think there's a kind of marketing mm. way out of that. Well then that's the it's the it's incredibly complex if you don't want to acknowledge that. Yeah. You know, mm. uh, so they say what they plan to do is they plan to model everyone in the region. In the past iterations, oh, it's it's it, mm. it's a smaller list every day. You know, you you, you got to hurry because the war crimes it's taken out a lot of people. In past iterations, their model has replicated every single person virtually, virtually each imbued with demographics, religious beliefs, and moral values that echo their real world counterpart. Culture Pulse's models can factor in over eighty uh, categories to each agent, including some of the ones we listed earlier. Beer is the drink of summer. Oh, yeah. So forth. <laughs> I mean, if if it modelled every single person in Northern Ireland over the course of the travels for this, at some point, Sue Gray's beliefs are in this database. <laughs> like awesome. one of the one of the beliefs in there is, I should go and open a pub in Antrim for no yeah, reason. Yeah, because beer is the drink of summer. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. summer. What else do you want her to do? <laughs> I've heard it said that beer is the drink of summer. Uh, I th- I th- just like a, a video of like a bunch of guys in in balaclavas from both the IRA and the and like the UVF all, all drinking beer together in a beer garden at Sue Grace Park because they're like, well, we may not agree on much, but I can say this: beer is the drink of summer. I mean, through AI, we can generate what a sort of beautiful visage that would look like, yeah, and it would be can. worth the like fifteen liters. Yeah, of Drake water could be there. Spent so, to do. Sean says <laughs> yeah. these models are entire artificial societies with thousands or millions of simulated, adaptive, artificially intelligent agents that, and they're designed in a way that's more psychologically realistic and more sociologically mm. re- realistic. You have an artificial mm. laboratory that you can play with in your PC in ways that you could certainly never do ethically in the real world. Some of playing city skylines, <laughs> you know, mm. like. There's, there's very little about this that sort of like shocks me, you know? It says, it could actually get to a to, to causality because the multi-agent AI system which grows the conflict, the polarization, or the peaceful immigration policy from the ground up. So it shows you what you'd want to create before you go try it out in the real world. But if, if it creates the policy and the occupation... Well, you can't do that. the Israelis go, no, then what use is the model? You've just like created a very elaborate kind of video game in order to you know demonstrate something which a ton of people are already calling for and which the Israelis have shown no interest in. Mm. Well, but th- this time it's the UN doing it. Mm. Everyone yeah, listens but the, to UN, the UN. The UN has already gone. Uh, this is you know a sort of unprecedented humanitarian crisis. Yeah, because they're anti-Semites. It, yeah, mm. and Israel has gone. You are in Hamas. Mm. Mm. So maybe these guys are in Hamas too. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they're creating a bunch of digital Hamas guys. Yeah. They're, they're digitally cloning. They're digitally doubling the forces yeah. available mm. to Hamas. Yeah, they're, they're creating the Hamas warfare. terrorists with the intelligence of a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you, you accuse sort of uh, protesters of supporting Hamas, but nobody's supporting Hamas to the extent of like making twice as many. Yeah, of them. I created Hamas in The Sims. So, so they uh, <laughs> oh, the Hamas IDF Sims house is a sort of rough interpersonal dynamics. Yeah. So basically, basically, um, Lane in Northern Ireland spent months finding and speaking to those directly involved in the violence, such as members of the UVF or the IRA, uh, and the information that Lane gathered in those interviews was fed into his model to give a more complete understanding of the psychology behind the violence. Now, sorry, I've just been, I've just been struck very strongly by uh, uh, the sound of a very broad Northern Irish accent saying the words "digital clone" and the vowel sounds, and that is sort of like doing something to my clone. brain. So, I <laughs> actually you stand on beer. I went to go read the paper that mm-hmm. that came out of this, and I thought it was very you know odd in its obviousness. They say um, Culture Pulse worked with the Wolf Institute at Cambridge. Uh, to work through biases and assumptions about peace. For example, one early assumption was that forgiveness would be highly correlated with cooperation offense, events and negatively correlated with conflict events. And while forgiveness has traditionally been studied at an individual level, Culture Pulse uh, found, essentially, that it was not relevant. Fairness proved to be more predictive. And in the context of Northern Ireland... But, but yes. I, I could have told you this. Yeah. 
Anyone could have told you this. This was the point of the conflict. It's the point of the conflict in, in Palestine as well. Is that like it's not so much hurt feelings. It is like an obvious material reality of this is a place that is occupied, right? That then generates those things around it. And if you, you can't address anything without addressing the material condition, why do you need to play The Sims to tell me this? Well, that's that's just it, right? This is what why I found so compelling about this company. Mm -hmm is that you have created from the ground up a thing that will tell you what is obvious if you look at it with your eyes. Yeah. What if we could put the blue gnome cheats on for Palestine and just make a bunch more land, and then everyone would be happy? You, you know what this is, mm. right? This is this is one of those Rube Goldberg machines, right? I mean, it, it extracts money off the UN out of every point of it. It's mm. a remora, right? But it, like, it's a Rube Goldberg machine. It's like you start a fucking OK Go video, and at the end of it, after like you know knocking down a bunch of uh, like balls down slides and popping a bunch of balloons, a big banner unfurls that says "Free Palestine." But we already knew that. Yeah. And we and and you know, we don't need a social. We don't need F. Laurent Schultz to yeah, create an entire digital twin of the society to say that because then it's going to spit that out. And they're going to be like, okay, well, what if that's not possible? What then? And then it's going to be like, I don't know, marketing. I guess y you know what it is. This this is like two guys, two Americans in Slovakia going, hey, I. Here you're having trouble with your territory, so I brought you a map that one-to-one -one reproduces the territory. And as we know, there are no philosophical problems with this. <laughs> it's it's very funny that they're kind of um that they're doing all of this debate about like, oh, what could we possibly do? We've got to find like nuanced solutions or whatever and all this. And they're doing they're doing all of this thinking, all of this computing power. But ultimately, as far as the UN is concerned, the only two like options that are on the table is Allow the genocide to continue unabated, or allow the genocide to continue unabated, but we're shaking our head while you do it. Like, and they're going through all, they're jumping through all of these hoops just to ultimately end up with that as the option. Yeah, it, and to just to just go be like, well, well, we checked the computer, and we yeah. had, we said the computer can't give us the the wrong answer. Well, Israel, you're now disagreeing with the computer with the intelligence of a nine-year-old, so <laughs> think on. Look, you know, you know what? You go ahead and do it, but you should know that in The Sims, it ended up pretty badly. So it's the key to the success of all these. Yeah, and we know what Israel does to real nine-year-olds who are Palestinians. Uh, so key to the success of all these efforts is a collection of information about what's happening on the ground. And so when they signed the contract with the UNDP in August. The first thing Schultz and Lane wanted to do was arrange a visit to Israel and the West Bank, where they spent about a week gathering data. Just a week. We met with the UN and different NGOs going out to villages, seeing firsthand what it looks like with the settler dynamics that are there. Again, like, what are you? Are you going out to like the veils of the fucking like just American style suburbs with gigantic walls and IDF guys around them? Like, hey, so what do you uh, what do you think of having a barbecue? How safe do you feel? Do you want to give this guy his house yeah. back? Mm. Asking, asking Itamar Benkvir whether he believes that beer is the drink yeah. of summer. <laughs> yeah, Benkvir is the drink of summer. The pair hoped mm. to go to Gaza, but were not able to secure permission. Huh. Fantastic. Perfect. No questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Israel wouldn't let us build the data on Gaza, so we're just going to have to guess. Uh, I reckon beer is the drink of summer in Gaza. <laughs> the reason the UN is turning to AI... Gaza weirdly strongly Clarkson coded. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> What are the toughest environments in the world? Again, a good Clarkson. Thank you. Clarkson doing a paraglider. I, I could actually see fucking Hammond, May, and Clarkson doing some kind of insane driving challenge through Gaza that would get would get pulled from the air halfway through. <laughs> yeah, we we actually did the opposite of peace in the Middle yeah. East. Jeremy Clarkson has invented a new kind of racism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He invented war too. Yeah, they've like they've like drawn the Prophet Muhammad on the side of James May's car. Like Richard Hammond is driving a car disguised as a giant pig. <laughs> Yeah, the grand the grand tour Gaza pulled halfway through as Egypt invades Gaza, mm, <laughs> specifically yeah. to end the grand tour. Uh, so mm -hmm, the yeah. way that the UN have phrased it to us is that there's no more low hanging fruit in this situation, and they needed to try something that was new and innovative, something that was really thinking outside the box, yet still addressing. This, this really is the like we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, something that was really outside the box and yet really addressing the root issues of the problem. Because again, we have it's, the it's, box. The box has one solution that works, which is any occupation. Yeah, yeah. It, the thing is, it's it's, it's League of Nations shit yeah. again, where it's like, okay, the existential challenge to this organization is. Can it like make a ruling and enforce it when one of the parties is like, mm. no, fuck that, I'm not going to do it? 
And, you know, the answer is when they have uh, a superpower backing them, the answer is no. And mm. so everything else sort of degenerates into marketing. farce and incoherence and bringing a couple of Reddit marketing well, guys look, You know, the problems are bad, but their causes are very good. Mm. Now, we have a few minutes left in the show, mm. and I'm very glad we got to this. Okay. Because we don't read the articles of Julie Birchall very often. Oh, well, it, it's always time for a change, isn't it? I've modelled <laughs> all 83 points of Julie Birchall's personality <laughs> to go along with her voice. And um, I would just like to say that beer is the drink of summer. <laughs> um, and they should inspect your genitals before you're allowed in the beer garden. So she's got some articles in The Spectator, most of which are her, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Some anti Sam Smith stuff, a Dave Courtney one. Huh? Anti Sam. Wait, this one about Dave Courtney? Yeah, Dave Courtney. He was a proper hard bastard. I tell you what, he had over 500 flat nosed geezers under his control, yeah. and they were all geezers. None of them had pronouns. You didn't, you know, there was no doubt about what a toilet they would be using. In fact, the only time they would do anything unconventional with a toilet would be if they were calling you a toilet. Uh, because you disputed their claim to being a hard bastard. <laughs> when we when we did the planning for this episode, I saw the the uh, the byline on the article, and I asked, "Is Milo in tonight?" And when you said yes, I was like, "Okay, I I can just sit back for this." One. <laughs> it's like it's like a vacation for me. I'm good. No, no, so basically, uh, the, the the Dave Courtney one, just to praise it, is mm. about um. It's like, oh, only middle-class TV Tarquins like Dave Courtney. TV Tarquins? She got our ass. Well, like like the the sort of, like, legendary dictator of Rome. Uh, I suppose so. Yeah. Um, I think that's maybe the most sort of Tarquin coded way of answering. I'm going. I'm going on the. I'm going on TV to learn about what what kind of like legendary dictator of Rome opinions yeah. I can have about TV. He's, he's basically, it's like he says the fascination with hard men persists right into the realms of art with Scorsese That's and Tarantino right, building careers on them. <laughs> um, anyway. No, she's she's got her ass. This is the you know the the only piece of salient criticism Julie Birch has landed on us. Yeah. So I'm, we are fascinated by hard men. Uh, so yeah. and the the and the hard times that create them. That's right. Yeah. Uh, no, no. This is. I thought this was fun because and the soft men that create those hard times. <laughs> hard future. Because aside from all the other stuff, you know the mm. usual things about why are young people so anti-Semitic, all that stuff. What we have in front of us, Julie Birchall. Advent calendars are becoming offensively showy. Oh, grappling with the real issues, I see. Yeah. In my day, it was simple. You bought an advent calendar and you knew whether it was male or female. And it never, <laughs> you never got to, to December the 12th and you opened the door and the advent calendar said, I'm a woman now. But you can't guarantee that with an advent calendar these days because of what... <laughs> my advent calendar actually uses it, its pronouns. Uh, so, so uh, each year in the charity shop where I volunteer... The Christmas cards arrive in August, and by September... Sorting the men's and women's clothing into separate and clearly labelled <laughs> baskets. Imagine you go to the fucking, like, BHF or whatever, and Julie Burchett was on the till. Fucking hell. <clears throat> yeah. Just checking you haven't misread B- BHF. Uh, but at least it's in the aid of charity, and thus in keeping with the spirit of the season, even if Christmas is still almost a third of a year away. Oh, uh, feels like it's coming earlier every year. <sighs> There's a grim humor in the way supermarkets can't keep up with their own greed, arranging their different seasonal wares so that even at the end of October, gummy sweets celebrating the Prince of Darkness jostle with chocolate celebrating the birth of the Prince of Peace. Wait, there's gummy sweets uh, celebrating the birth of Ozzy Osbourne? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're like really satanic Halloween chocolates mm. now. Now, fucking Julie Birch on Ozzy Osbourne, that would be a conversation with some fucking voices. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, the, it's the, 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 the Halloween candies, they're satanically small. Mm. Uh, Satan doesn't want you to have much chocolate. Uh, hey, you're just, giving uh, me uh, this, uh, this bag of sweets, Julie, but you can't, you can't get the sweets all in there. Uh, <laughs> but. Even more distasteful are the bastardizations of the advent calendar available to those with terminally shallow lives. The, but the bastardization, what kind of like sacred 
heyday of the advent calendar yeah. are we recalling well, back to? When when were advent calendars not woke? Jesus was when advent calendars Well, that's the great. This is one of the things I love about like the uh, Brits trying to talk about how like Christmas is no longer what it was, and everyone's too selfish. Americans have war on Christmas. But every yeah. time British people, whether it's Catherine Burble singer Julie Burchill, try to like gin up some war on Christmas, all they can think of is like, oh, Advent calendars ain't what they used to be because it's not a particularly religious country. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Right. I, I can remember like um, being a, a kid and one of the more like curmudgeonly teachers at primary school. We were like, you know, we all had Advent calendars when we were children, whatever. And then the the teacher was like, oh, you know, when I was a child, an advent calendar didn't have any chocolate in it. It only had a little festive picture. It's as it, as it should be. And I'm like, oh, that sounds shit. It sounds like it was shitter. It sounds like it was worse, actually. It sounds like it's much better now. Why would you pretend like that was good? It sounds like it sucked. Well, over a month ago, I received my first offer of one from Mac. Quote, worth over 480 pounds, yours for 170, packed with 24 indulgent treats, including 21 full-size products. No, thank you. I mean, th- th- that's th- I love a filler column. Yeah. Is the thing, oh, yeah. right? Because where they what they reach for uh, as a columnist when there's fuck all to write about that that's what really separates. You know, like mm. that's where Adrian Childs like rose to the top yeah. and made his career off of that shit was having nothing, absolutely nothing, and going. You know what? I will do the perfect column. And what Julie Birchall, what she's done is essentially like look through her own spam mail. She's gone like, all right, for, I, I need to get the thing done. Uh, the, the fucking wokes are trying to contact me about my car's extended warranty. Um, yeah. why, you know, when, when will this be stopped? As a, the DFS sale has gone too far. When, <laughs> when will it end? <laughs> it is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense to call it a sale when it seems to be on 364 <laughs> days a year. If anything, they have one day a year where it's more expensive and it should be labeled <laughs> as such. What, what, what is next, DFS? Will the sofas have pronouns? Your silence speaks volume. <laughs> so I also love that it's just like uh, I don't understand what she's actually upset about, other than just advent calendars were fine when they were a little chocolate, but not when they were a picture. It sh- that was fine this far and no further. But it's it's, it's mm-hmm. the it's the Andy Rooney of it all. I yeah. think advent calendars have, yeah. are, are like the because she's talking about these really expensive ones where it's like well, oh, not just the expensive ones because oh, okay. here's the next paragraph in an amusing bit of jiggery wokery oh. the Tony Chalk Lonely calendar features an empty window on the 8th of December to highlight inequality and slave labor policies of unscrupulous firms in the chocolate manufacturing business okay Tony's Chalk Lonely whilst the chocolate is good they can fuck all the way off they are the most annoying like first of all they're Dutch which I'd speak no for they're itself. not they're actually really? Belgian Oh, well, actually, even worse. Here's the here's yeah. the other thing, right? Is I've been wanting to work this into an episode for ages, and this is my opportunity because I looked at talk- Tony's chocolate only, and I was like, "Huh, that's odd. How come it's everywhere all of a sudden? What kind of private equity funding did it get?" Mm. And then I answered that question. A huge amount of money had poured into it from a company called Verlinvest. Mm. Uh, Verlinvest, they are a family office for a very wealthy Belgian family. Oh. Huh. Yeah, a very, very wealthy uh, Belgian family indeed, uh, and they practically bit their hand off for this investment. <laughs> <laughs> and the um, the funny thing was, though, is that uh, is that Verlinvest is uh, basically is the office of the Sporlbirch and Demelvius families, who are both like, oh, come on, I love to be called Demelvius. <laughs> yeah, but like these are, let's say. Uh, Families that have been wealthy in Belgium for a very long time. Ah, I see. If you get my meaning. Chocolate only is brewed in the Congo. Taking a very anti-slavery step now. Mm. I mean, this is the thing. We... If Julie Birchall's complaint about Tony's Belgians have gone woke. (laughs) Is that they're doing a kind of like false piety thing. If she wants to call that woke, fine, whatever. We can't really disagree with her. No. Yeah. It's just that to present this as like a sort of issue of import. Mm. No, no, it's annoying that such good chocolate is made by such annoying people because if you've never had a bar of Tony's chocolate only, right, it's it's very expensive. It's all right. And then it comes in it comes in like very uneven 
cubes and it's and then then the, none of the lines match up and it's basically impossible to break up without like injuring yourself or getting chocolate all over the floor and then they've got a really patronizing note in the paper which says our chocolate is broken up unevenly but to represent how the profits of the chocolate industry are, are broken up unevenly it's like you literally are the chocolate industry cunt <laughs> like either distribute the profits evenly or don't but don't well, fucking patronize me with, with tony's chocolate only specifically it is the people in Belgium, like some of the richest families in mm. in in Europe, who are who mm. own the entire Belgian brewing industry, Yeeps van der rubber plantation yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yes. beer is the drink of summer. Yeah, but this, <laughs> but who are sort of like you know have been Belgian aristocrats for you know ages, mm. right? That is essentially them doing reputation laundering via their family office. Mm. I see. You know, so again, but they get with with what I think is funny about this one is more just like um, I'm. I, I'm I'm upset. I'm upset at the marketing. Like all of this stuff, it's like I'm yeah. upset at the marketing. Mm. You know, uh, sure. So the uh, I can't. And, and they all, she also then says uh, the mail reports that unhappy parents said they did not need to be taught a lesson by my advent calendar, adding that it upset children with autism who didn't understand the reason. And I thought making that kind of accommodation was woke. Yeah. Well, this is the thing, right? I I think what she's doing here is she's. Doing a kind of like, you know, what you, what used to be called clown world mm. thing on the right, where it's like, ah, uh, the woke chocolate company tried to act wokely, but then the woke children outwoked them. Yeah. Well, it also it really upset children with a different kind of autism who understood how hollow the gesture was because they had a very deep grasp of the history of the yeah, cocoa trade and yeah, also yeah. all of the investors in Tony's Chocolate Only. Are you thinking of anyone in particular? <laughs> Look, <laughs> let's not get into it. <laughs> so, I can't say I'm wildly sympathetic to parents whose idea of celebrating a major religious festival involves shoveling sweets down the throats of their little darlings. You're well, fucking I mean, British! Can we stop pretending to be fucking Yanks? Like, what are you talking about? If you're, relig if you're a religious Christian in Britain, you are a fucking freak, okay? This has been a secular country for as long as anyone can fucking remember. Look, do not start pretending in the fucking newspaper this is a Christian country, because it fucking isn't. I remember growing up in this country, and if you met anyone at school who seriously believed in God, you were like, you are a fucking weirdo and my mum will not let me go around your house like okay. that <laughs> Chris, christian god yeah christian god yeah if you meet if you meet white christians no, you, no yeah, yeah. i grew up like in essex it was it was christian god or nothing parents <laughs> yeah <laughs> like no. no but like the other thing is too it's very weird for julie birchall to be doing this about christmas specifically because like this is not the religion she's ever shown any interest in. Mm. Like she, I thought she was too busy on her like philosemitism stuff. Mm. Where, where is the like woke Hanukkah? That's that's, that's why I think that this know? is this why I think this article is mm. fun. It's like an escape containment from two thousand nine. Ooh, yeah, you know, right? this is like it's look, it's no shoes, but it certainly no. it certainly is just like a thought strikes a columnist and then their eyes roll back in their head and then you wake up and then you're complaining about the advent calendar. Yeah. So Julie Birchall is a mentat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, but the, the, she complains about the uh, cosmetics calendar saying Liberties is two, 250 pounds, Joe Malone's is 350 pounds, Diptyque's is 390, and it's like, yeah, Don't wow. Buy you, you just, it. Uh, Don't buy the just, fucking candle advent calendar. It's aimed at lunatics. You're also, you're also getting annoyed that you're being marketed to by like shitty businesses trying to target like sort of older women like fucking liberty for fuck's sake <laughs> like yeah that uh, the stalwart of yeah. the fucking woke agenda liberty of love i want the liberty x advent calendar <laughs> uh, riley's looking at me confused because he doesn't know who liberty x are doesn't know liberty x pathetic how did you pass your citizenship test um anyway uh yeah liberty x were a, a pop group from the very early 2000s who were originally called liberty but had to change their name due to there being another pop group called liberty oh. We're used to moisturizer being called a hero or shampoo a savior, but to commercialize the countdown to one of the most important days in the Christian calendar, so it adds up to nothing more than a bit of scented lipstick, really does degenerate, demonstrate a degraded culture. No one fucking cares! What are you talking about? And more to the point, Judy Burchill, you don't fucking care. You're literally a rich liberal from London. When was the last time you went to church? What the fuck are you talking about? No one! What, since when? Since when? Like, Christmas has been defined by like fucking Robo Sapien or whatever the fuck since as long as I can remember. 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, this is this is someone who's been watching Trigger Pod but wants to complain about the advent calendar. I just I don't mm. I don't get it. I I want I I think Judy Burchill should be forced to have like a fucking ice chewing Protestant religious Christmas, like kneeling on a stone floor in prayer all day, like chewing on a bit of straw, whatever the fuck it is that they do, mm. and be like, yes, this really is the true meaning of Christmas. And the thing is, you can do it. It's legal to do this. You can go. You yeah. can go the opposite direction. You can go to midnight mass mm. if you want to. You can go to midnight mass, and no one will try and sell you a fucking like liberty uh like uh fucking like makeup yep. no one's gonna try and sell you anything you can do what, other than you, the concept of the apostolic church you can do what my like, neighbor pauline did in 1986 and go to midnight mass because you've run out of alcohol but you live opposite a church on the assumption that they would give you free wine which they did but then she was like but everyone was trying to hug me it was fucking weird <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I came here for the booze, all right? <laughs> so, th- like, like three hours of prayer and and song for like one yeah. cup. Yeah, of but blood of Christ, shit. whatever. What kind of ABV are we talking? So, there's something <laughs> blood of Christ export. Yeah, there's something miserable. <laughs> blood of Christ. Blood of Christ brew. is the drink of summer. So, <laughs> the Danish government made this drink for Jesus. So there's something miserable about the, about the idea of self-gifting yeah. and people thinking to themselves, I deserve a treat. Well, why? What have you done to deserve it? And here's my... Read this column. Here's my favorite sentence in a, any column we've read recently. Advent calendars which cost a fortune, in case you hold that in your mind, mm-hmm. right? Advent calendars wow. which cost a fortune are the opposite of food banks. Well, I mean, you know, Julie Birchall, she's... Uh, she, it's a Hegelian dialectic, yeah. right? You know, you have, a, you have a thesis, food banks, you have an antithesis... Uh, advent calendars which cost a lot and from this we you know they engage mm. in in struggle that transforms both and we get a synthesis which is the uh the food bank advent what calendar. if you went to the food bank but the only food they had left was an advent calendar and your 24 children got to open one window each but 23 of them had uh lipstick in which is of limited nutritional value and one of them had no lipstick to highlight the inequality of the lipstick trade how how would you feel then not very good i expect why can't they all have a tin of beans or some fish fingers as would be morally correct while kneeling on the floor in prayer i definitely subscribe to an advent calendar Whereby you give something to charity or do a good deed each day. Uh, what? You, you're a fucking coll- You're writing this in the Spectator, like the, the evil magazine, the official magazine of being an evil bastard. Also, you just can. Yeah, because you, you can just do. can do a good deed every day. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see yeah, a but fucking try, but you know, in yeah. theory, <laughs> it's not the same if you're not pushing a little like paper window. It would, it would, the, the paper window just has a good. That's just a chore wheel. You're describing a chore wheel. Judy Birchill can give Trash Future the best Christmas present of all and keep writing these columns. <laughs> it would leave a far better taste in the mouth than even 24 miniature bottles of Bailey's. Wait, no. In the last that's second, just she like is one on bottle because... of Bailey's. <laughs> <laughs> because because the advent calendars of booze are freak shit, as far as I can say. I saw mm. I saw one that was like an advent calendar of like world whiskies, and I'm like, no, if you if you drink like a dram of whiskey every day for a month, mm. you are going to make yourself into a serious alcoholic. The world of whiskey's That's... advent calendar is very misleading because there are at best about four or five countries on earth which produce whiskey, so that's like four or five days out of of 24. Yeah, they left the rest blank to highlight the inequality of the global yeah, that's whiskey right. making industry. <laughs> all right, all right. I, well, Some people never get a dram in their whole life. We'll leave it there, but mm. we'll see probably a few hundred of you this evening, if you're listening to this on the day it wow. comes out. Wow. Yes. Wow. Make, your, make your way to the, the South Bank of London. Yeah, please do. Uh, um, also, this Australian tour day is very soon to be announced for me, personally. Mm. And uh, hey, March and April, keep it free. <laughs> we can b- book nothing. Mm. Yeah. And for tonight, uh, if there are tickets left, there will be a link in the description. There will be. Yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, we'll uh, see if you. Not attempt to storm the barricades. Please do not <laughs> storm the venue. They will get mad. Just wait patiently outside. Future claims to be a socialist podcast, but they're only letting the elite first 300 or so people into their show while leaving others to sit out in the cold and be upset. Because it tells you about the fundamental inequality of, of podcasting. <laughs> no, why don't they let all of the listeners be on the podcast? The, the, most listeners have to content themselves with pretending to be friends with them in their head while they enjoy the warm glow of real friendship on the podcast. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> bye.
Thank you.